Welcome to the I Am In podcast. This semester, the Boise Nampa Institute will interview members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We will hear stories from their personal lives, examples of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has blessed them. We hope you will join us each week to strengthen your faith in the Savior and gain hope for the future. Uh, I am Michelle Burke, and I am here today with Cassidy and Becca. I asked all of the student council members at the Institute to tell me who they would like to interview for the podcast, someone they admire who lives faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Becca chose Cassidy Piper. I sure did. I chose Cass because she is a consistent example in my life of what it means to live a Christ-like life and to turn to the Lord in, in all the seasons and in all the moments. So I'm so excited she's here and was willing to share about herself. Cass, do you want to introduce yourself? I'd love to. And first, I'd just echo uh, Becca's been one of my lifesavers. When we get to my story, I'll talk a little bit about how I came to Idaho, but God definitely brings people into our paths. So I'm originally from Orem, Utah born and raised, so right by Provo and BYU, and I have five siblings and my amazing parents. And as I thought about in preparation for this podcast, I just kept thinking of them, my parents in particular, and things that they have taught me and how they're foundational, that I might go back to a few of these things as we tell stories. But my, we had three rules growing up that everyone in the house knew. If I brought over a friend, they would, my dad would say, do you know the family rules? And then we would have to tell them, or if a if an old friend was over, they would have to tell them the new rules. And they were, have fun, everybody take care of everybody, and pray before everything. And those were things I've heard probably a million times in my life. And so those became foundational for so many aspects of my life. I went to high school and then graduated and went to BYU-Idaho. And I loved it. I'm obsessed with it. I'm always trying to get my students to go there. It was amazing and so good for my soul. I was super involved in freshman orientation. and. I personally think I had the most fun you could ever have in college while staying righteous. So <laughs> I loved it. Well, maybe pause there and give a little commercial. We have a lot of uh, young adults in the Valley who have never been to BYUI. What, why is it different? Why would they want to leave the comforts of home and online schooling and, you know, cheaper situation to go there? Great question. For me, and I, I grew up in a very highly populated member area. So here there's a little bit less than that. That's a unique Thing to experience, to be surrounded by people who in a lot of ways have your same beliefs and in other ways maybe grew up with the same beliefs but aren't living them the same way and that's a unique challenge to figure out. That wasn't necessarily new for me but was kind of emphasized in college. But what made BYU-Idaho so special for me was honestly just getting involved. I had, because BYU-Idaho and I believe all the church school, schools are a little bit subsidized, they're cheaper um, because of tithing and different things. Am I correct in that? Yeah. And I remember the dean of students, he said, if all that you get from BYU-Idaho is a degree, you have wasted the sacred tithing funds of the church. So BYU-Idaho became a place for me to become something. You can get a degree in lots of other places, a really good degree. But BYU-Idaho, I walked away with a degree, with a stronger testimony in Jesus Christ, with lifetime friends with the love of people and I just had cr so many fun opportunities. I just loved it. It was so much fun to be surrounded by people who just wanted to have good, wholesome, clean fun. And with the different clubs that I got in, we just wanted to, like everybody, we wanted to bring them into our group and like welcome them in into the fold. And that was just really cool. I felt like I had a thousand friends. 
I'd walk through campus and I've never felt like that before that I just knew everyone I'm I honestly miss a lot of that because it was so amazing and so it was BYU Idaho but I would also say like it was because I wanted it to be more than just a degree and at BYU Idaho it can be if you put in that effort which I'm sure is true for wherever you go well for sure because anytime you give the effort to make it better than what you always better than how you found it right you can have an amazing experience because you went to Utah State I sure did and it was not a church school but you were a big part of the institute there so how did that shape you by having institute amidst a state school I think similarly to Cassidy it gave me a purpose greater than just a degree when I went there I my parents promised me when they dropped me off that if I went to the institute I would always have friends and my testimony would always get stronger and so I just made it a goal to to go to the institute at least once a day every day my entire degree and I think I did it except for I had pneumonia for a month one year so I didn't go for that month because I was contagious (laughs) 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 but yeah the institute it just teaches you everything you need to know and the people there become lifelong mentors and the friends I made there I think will be my friends forever that's awesome so back at BYUI you majored in communications and you were hoping to do what I honestly expected to be the the typical I'd say Latter-day Saint girl track now. I expected to go to BYU-Idaho and find my companion by the time I was 20, and we would get married, and I'd hopefully finish my... I knew I wanted to finish a degree and have babies in between and just become a stay-at-home mom. That was my... My mom was, and I always wanted that. So that's honestly what I expected to happen. And then things turn out differently than we expect. <laughs> that's not how it went, is it? Yes. Sorry, yeah, no, it didn't. I... I interrupted my three, after three years of college, I went on my mission. When I went, you had to be 21. And so I went when I was 21 and I served in Nashville, Tennessee and returned home, did another year, graduated, was not really sure what I wanted to do with communications. I uh, was an intern for social media and I was on social media eight hours a day and it was frying my brain. So I decided to pursue other things and eventually was led to seminary teaching and I've been teaching for six years now. And the past two years, two years ago, I met my husband, Ryan, and ended up here in Idaho. And we have our son, Marshall, um, who's technically my stepson, but just my son and my soul. And so that's kind of how I ended up here. So that's a brief life sketch of me. That's awesome. Talk a little bit about um, Cassidy pre-mission and then what your mission did to you that made Cassidy different after. Because President Nelson just came out in conference and said, you know, it's a priesthood responsibility for every young man to serve a mission. But he gave the sisters quite the different, you know, you're invited to, but Mm -hmm. not required. And 21 was a big age. I went at 21. And you have to decide to go. Yeah. And wonder, will I not get married if I go? (laughs) Like, what will happen at 21? Where now they get to go at 19. But what did a mission do for you personally? That's a fantastic question. Do you mind if I touch a little bit on sisters choosing to serve before I get there? So I... I always thought if I, I, my backup plan, if marriage didn't happen as quickly was if I'm 21, to me, there was two options, 21, you either go on a mission or you're married, if you're a sister. And so I was getting close to turning 21 and I went to my bishop and at the time it was my dad, I was off track. And when I told him I wanted to go on a mission, he said, why? And I said, well, because I'm single and I should. And he said, that's not a good enough reason. I don't think you should go. And I was like, you're not supposed to tell me that. And he, it was a really cool moment for me where he said, who's the most amazing woman you've ever met? 
and I said my mother and he said did she serve a mission and I said no and he said you don't have to be an amazing woman to serve a mission so if you're putting this expectation on yourself that's unfair if the Lord's putting the expectation then you go but I'm not hearing you say that that's the case and it wasn't so I I changed my plans I lost the desire to serve completely and I turned 21 and I was sitting in a class to become a seminary teacher, the pre-service class at BYU-Idaho. And I had this distinct impression, you need to serve a mission. And I was so mad because I'd already crossed that line. I had already decided no. And I thought the Lord had told me no. And at this point, I was in my favorite semester of BYU-Idaho. I was having a blast. And if I left, that means when I came back, all those friends would be graduated. I was, I was still hoping marriage was close. And maybe that's why I got a no, don't serve. And so I felt like I was pushing off that. And to be honest, my friends, a lot of my, my friends were serving missions and were telling me they were hard. <laughs> so I was like, oh, cool. I don't have to go. So when I got that impression, it took me a little while until I humbled myself and finally prayed to see if that impression was from the Lord. And when I finally said to him, honestly, my prayer was, I don't want to go, but I will if you want me to. And then I opened up my scriptures and I was led to a verse that confirmed to me that that's what he wanted. It was now time. So my original answer wasn't a no, it was a not yet. But it was a cool experience to realize from the first time where I went on a mission, because I just thought I had to, it was an expectation, especially at my age, to I went on a mission the second time, it was completely because the Lord wanted me to. And that made all the difference in it. And I think that that actually goes with your question as well, how I was different is not that everyone is, but I was a selfish college kid. I was there to have fun and I cared about other people, but I don't think they were my focus. You know, I, I just, I was focused on me and my finances and my schooling and my friends. And after going on a mission, I felt so small, but not in a bad way. You know, there was so many more people out there who were suffering and struggling and needed the gospel of Jesus Christ and needed love. And so I think I was very much, I, I looked for people more. I saw people. I cared about people deeper after my mission. And it, I think a lot of it came down to, I served, I served a mission for the Lord and for others, not for myself because I didn't want to go. And that was crucial for me because I, I learned the first two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, like I hadn't before. It changes everything when you have that when when he is the whole purpose of why we're here and you hand over your existence to him yeah wow he drags us through places we don't want to go <laughs> <laughs> but we learn so much more than if we try to set our own path yes i i remember thinking before my mission wow this is going to be a really big sacrifice but i'm going to do it for him and kind of felt a little bit like proud of myself for giving that's the Lord, and it was cool because when we do give our lives to the Lord, He takes us down crazy paths. But after I mission, I was embarrassed to call it a sacrifice simply because what I got in return for what I gave was He just blessed me immensely. Hmm. That's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing, Gav. Um, can you talk a little bit about that foundation of your testimony? Yeah. I've tried to think about, like, when did it even start? But I don't have that answer. I just feel something I always have known is that I am a daughter of God. And re in the devotional that President Nelson gave in May, I remember him mentioning 
that as young adults, we, we need to know this. Like that needs to be our number one identifier that we are children of God. And so I'm grateful that somehow, somewhere, to, to still the words of Pat Holland, God blurbed that on my screen, that I was his daughter. I knew that before I knew that this was his church, before I knew that Jesus Christ was my savior. But those things came natural because I knew that I was a daughter of God. And it was cool because I, I mean, I, I still went through like your normal teenager and young adulthood worries and insecurities. I had those, but at the same time, I also felt like I was pretty confident because I knew that I was a divine being with a God who just adored me, even though I was a stinker, you know? So I would say the foundation of my testimony is him and just that I'm his. It's so significant. It's such a good question. Let's talk about dating. <laughs> but <laughs> Cass, tell us about dating. Okay. So I got married when I was 30. So I had a good, we could say 12 years, but if I'm being honest, I really didn't date much before my mission. So after my mission is when it really, when it, when it really started. But yeah, I, so I came home for my mission when I was 23 and I was like, now is the time I will find my eternal companion. And I got really close a lot, which also means I was heartbroken a lot. And it took me, you know, six more years after I returned home until I found my wonderful Ryan. And so when I think back to my dating experiences, I think the things that stand out to me are, are partially how quiet I felt like the Lord was. I felt like he should be so loud because it was such a big decision. But in a lot of time, he just felt quiet. I would pray about, guys, should I date this guy? And really, it just came down to my choice. And I realize now it's because he knew the ending. And some of the time, he knew it wasn't going to work out. And it was just going to happen authentically. So he let it happen and let me have experiences that were beautiful and painful and fun and miserable. And I learned a lot from them. And eventually, it led me it led me to where I am now. Isn't it amazing how when we date different people, we're at our spiritual level of, you know, 23, and then we're a different person at 24, 25, 26, and who you are at 30 when you finally got married uh, versus the 23-year-old girl. I mean, you're a, you're a more mature wife. Mm-hmm. You're a more prepared mother. Your understanding of the gospel has solidified. You are at a place where you have so much to offer the marriage, and I think all of us can look back at people we've dated and the maturity level and what we learned, we take with us. We, we, we grasp all those lessons and we move forward and we become better people as we let the Lord lead us to whoever it is we need to have life with. And that's significant. There's a purpose in dating that brings yes. us maturity and experience and joy to prepare us for the time when we dive in. That's awesome. Cass, I'm just curious how your dating experiences that you collected throughout those years helped you in your life outside of just dating, like the lessons that you gathered. In dating helped me outside of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. The the initial one that comes to my mind is I remember after going on dates with a guy, we, we weren't, you know, exclusive, but we'd been dating for about a month and he was awesome. You know, one of those guys where you're like, it should work, but we both were like trying to make it work and it wasn't. And so we decided to end things. And I just remember feeling bummed and I remember him feeling bummed. And I was thinking, this is just a giant lose-lose. 
that was my initial negative thinking is dating is just a lose-lose until it's a win-win. Because even if you're the one to break up with someone, that's not fun. Either way, it's not fun. And I remember thinking, you know, the Book of Mormon, I've been told it has all the answers, right? Second Nephi teaches us that, that the Book of Mormon and the teachings of the scriptures and the Holy Ghost can tell us all things what we should do. So I was like, well, I want it to tell me how to date better. And so I started reading the Book of Mormon with dating in mind. And I came across a scripture that I, I don't know why I had not thought of it before, but it was just the one in Moroni 7 that's also in the New Testament, that charity never faileth. Because I felt like dating was just giant failures after failures after failures, which I love the way that you said that, Sister Burke, that it's, we learn so, we glean so much. So it, I think it's unfair for us to call even a failed relationship a failure. But I, I, that changed the way that I looked at dating is that if I just went into all of my interactions with the men that I were dating, whether it was exclusive or even on a first date, that I'm just going to be full of charity and that charity never faileth, that I will, it won't be a failure. No matter what happens, it will not be a failure. And I feel like that it has impacted me. I don't know if I've ever thought about that question until you asked Becca, but I absolutely think that's impacted me because I remember I changed, this was my own philosophy, so I'm not trying to subscribe anyone, but I feel like sometimes we feel nervous saying yes to dates if we don't know how interested we are for a very first date. And for me, I decided all that I'm saying on a first date is you are worth my time. I'm not saying I'm going to marry you. I'm not saying we're going to date, you know, I'm just saying you're worth my time. And maybe they would surprise me and maybe we would end up going out more. And sometimes that happened. I wish everyone would say that. Honestly, like I, I sit back as a teacher. When people come talk to me about their problems, there's always going to be their story and about someone else. And I've already decided before they start the story, I love everybody in the story. Oh, I because love that. Jesus does, yeah. right? He loves the person in front of me. He loves the person that broke up with them. He loves the parent that's not been so nice. Like Jesus loves everybody in the story. So when they come to me, that's my open mind is I already love everybody in the story. What's going on? Let's figure it out. Yeah. And it changes your perception. And if dating could be viewed the same way, Heavenly Father and Jesus love every single person that's going to ask someone on a date, and they're all worth the time. They're all worth the time. To get the courage to say, do you want to go to dinner on Friday, <laughs> is huge. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want to go to dinner on Friday? Like, if we just take away the walls and the expectations and the labels, you invite into your life friends, and you have no idea who they're going to become. You could be having lunch with the next Steve Jobs. You could be having mm. a, a dinner, a date, and a night hike with the next president of the United States. You don't know who those people will become. And and I look back now, because I'm just a, a, a few years older than you two, <laughs> and I think of the amazing people I dated, and, and they're incredible now. They're doctors and dentists and surgeons and businessmen and entrepreneurs, and, and they've done really well with their life. But in that little restaurant, in that moment, I couldn't see that. I could not see the future of who they were going to be. But I'm so grateful for the time I got to spend with each of them because you're just collecting friends. Dates yeah. are an opportunity to collect friends, and maybe we knew them before. Maybe we knew them as spirits, right? And in their mortal costumes, we don't recognize them. But when those costumes come off, and they're like, seriously, you wouldn't even go with me for a hamburger and fries? Like, <laughs> won't it be so funny <laughs> yeah. when they look back and think, you really couldn't even give me 30 minutes? You didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. And that's true. We really don't know who each other are, but we have been commanded to love. And, and that has so much power if we take that literally. Yes. And I think it goes back to what your dad taught, right? To have fun. 
Mm-hmm. Dating is not fun when you're like freaked out and like reading into it all the time. So Cass taught me that when we first moved in together, like almost two years ago. And it has changed everything. Like one day I'm like, okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, just have fun. Okay. Whatever. Let's do it. <laughs> What's the dress code, you know? Right. It's just easier. It's more fun. And I think, I think you, you learn to have fun in your 20s different through dating. That definitely affected it. Because there is a, it can sometimes be hard being single mm-hmm. for years in a, in a culture that is so family oriented. And it's a beautiful desire to want a family. There's nothing wrong to, to long for that. But I think if that's keeping you from being happy when that's not the Lord's plan for you at that moment, you're going to miss out on so many things. And there were for sure moments I was sad, but but I there were lots of moments that were just fun. And I did. I, I met incredible people. And there's no way I was going to marry 100 guys. <laughs> but I could go on a date over eight, you know, 12 years with 100 guys and and just be fascinated and learn. I remember this one guy, we didn't click at all, but I, he was a, such a cool teacher that I was like, can we go out again so I can pick your brain? Like he was, um, I still teach some of the things he taught me on this first date. He then deleted me. So I couldn't, <laughs> but I was like, I wanted to keep hanging out because he was, I was so fascinated by who he was, even though we obviously both felt like there wasn't a spark because there is so much more. You're going to marry hopefully one person. And, <laughs> and beyond that, like, that doesn't mean everyone else isn't worth getting to know, you know? Absolutely. So let's maybe talk about your journey to seminary for a minute, because here you are a communication major and you have expectations of your future marriage and 10 children and all the things that were coming your way. Yes. But uh, why seminary? How did that happen? Where, where, where did that lead a path for you? So I, I've always loved talking and teaching and I knew that I would love to get paid to talk which is maybe why I went communications because that's a lot of what has to do with but seminary was on my mind if you remember when I said I decided to serve a mission I was in a seminary teaching class so I had thought I had already pursued that avenue that was before my mission and I thought I was supposed to take that class to become a missionary so I kind of checked okay seminary teaching off the career path because I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated I just felt like, I'll figure out something. My dad did tell me this. I remember when I graduated, he said, I want you to dream big. And he's an entrepreneur. So he was like, let's start a company. And that was so overwhelming and beyond my realm. I remember like writing down a couple ideas and being like, I don't think that's what I want to do. But I loved what he said, dream big. So um, I actually like after my internship, I was offered a full-time job, but because I was not into, I was doing social media marketing. Did I already talk about this? Okay. And so I, I just wasn't interested in sitting at a desk all day. It wasn't for me. So they offered me a full-time job and I said no, and I didn't have another backup plan. So I moved back in with my parents and I was a robotics instructor for little kids after school camps. And it was like Lego rope. It makes me sound so much cooler than I am. I didn't really even know that much, but, but I was working maybe like eight hours. And then I found a job being a debt collector so I was really just at that point just trying to make money figuring the right thing would come into my lap but knowing that I needed direction I I was praying about it and one day I just felt impressed to go to the temple at a very specific time so I went into the temple and I saw my seminary teacher from when I was a senior in high school and it was one of those things that's stupid now I hope my students don't do this to me I saw him and I knew him but I was like he won't remember me so I was trying to avoid him because I was like embarrassed of seeing my seminary teacher, even though I loved him. 
And so we were both at the Temple Recommend desk at the same time, but on opposite sides. And so we go in, and I'm just trying to, you know, beeline it to the women's dressing room. And he sees me, and he says, Cassidy. And I was like, he remembered me. And he came over, and, oh, how are you doing? And I told him I had graduated and recently returned from a mission. And he said, what are you doing with your life? And I was like, I don't know. And was embarrassed to say that. You know, I think most people want to graduate and feel like they have this cool career path. And he just said, you should be a seminary teacher. You would be great at it. And I was like, oh, I actually already thought about it and it didn't work out. And he was like, oh, I'm not trying to pressure you, but just, I just think you'd be really good. And that day after the temple, I went home and I called UVU's pre-service program, the institute down there, and started taking seminary teaching. And it really, the entire time I'm a debt collector, I'm a part-time debt collector and a part-time seminary teacher. And it was one of those things that I didn't really know it was an option until it was an option. And it was cool because I remember talking to my dad and, and saying, I think this is what I want to do. And he said, that's dreaming big. So it didn't mean financially, you know, seminary teaching isn't exactly most you, lucrative. You went out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Just, mm -hmm. and doing something that I would love. Uh, and I, I really didn't think it was an option, especially down in Utah. It's, there's so many people who say they're going to and don't become one. And so the Lord really just had his hand that whole time in leading me here. You know, President Nelson said in his conference talk, Spiritual Momentum, seek and expect miracles. Uh, be looking for his hand in your life every single day. And when you pause and really think about it, the God's in, in our life every single day. You know, if that's your only journal prompt at night, where did I see God today? You could write a sentence every day of your life and multiple sentences. Sometimes he's in and out of your day. But if you never stop to really think about his interaction in your life, you miss it. Mm -hmm. So for a prophet to say, seek and expect miracles, look and be mindful of how often he is moving people around, shuffling things around for your welfare, for your benefit, tender mercies to remind you that you're loved and that you're noticed and you're cared about. He knows your name. He, he wants you to have a, the best life you can. It's actually such a profound thought that he's always there. And it makes all the difference. Keep us going. Because even on the hardest of hard days, somebody shows up in your door with just what you need. So let's talk about one of those people. Uh, you are not yet um, dating someone that you think you're going to marry. And someone knows you, says to someone else, you should date Cassidy. So talk about how your relationship with Ryan began because someone else intervened. Oh, beautiful question. Yes, it was it was very random, too. Um, a friend of mine set us up who I hadn't seen in probably five years and talked to in two years. You know, not for any reason, just life gets busy and you meet a lot of people when you're single and they come in and out of your life. So it was someone that I respected and admired, but we hadn't talked to each other in a while. And I remember the moment I was baking cookies with my youngest sister and I get a Facebook message from this friend, and I was like, oh, that's very, very random. And I look, and the text says, hey, I don't know if you're even, if you're dating someone or where you're at, but I know this great guy. How do you feel about long distance? But this was during COVID, so everyone was long distance. And I, at that point, I was really trying to seize any opportunities that came my way. So I said, yeah, absolutely, I'd be interested. Here's my number. Send it to him. And within that same day, Ryan messaged me and just said, hey, I live far away 
and I don't know when I'm going to make it down to Utah, but could we FaceTime, have a FaceTime date, which I appreciated that, that he set that up immediately. And two days later, we FaceTimed, and we talked for seven hours. And two days later, we talked for six hours. And two days later, he drove down to Utah. It's one of those stories where I was like, what is happening? And it all started so fast, but it came from this friend who I, I still want to know a little bit more of the story. Apparently, Ryan and him were just talking and I think they were spilling, you know, they're talking about their lives. And just somehow I came up and said, hey, she's, he said, all that he said was, I don't know if you two will like each other, but I know you will have beautiful conversations because, and me and Ryan do, we love talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was kind of a foundation of our friendship with this other kid. So that was cool. He, it wasn't like, you will totally be right for each other. He just said, you will get along. And I appreciated that because sometimes you go on dates with people that you're like, did you, was it just because I'm a girl and he's a boy, <laughs> you know? And so this friend was, was at least thinking that they'll enjoy each other's company. Never in a million years, I think, thinking I would move to Idaho and marry him. But I did. Um, and so his intervening meant the world to me and came at a really beautiful time in my life that I was, I felt like I was ready. And I remember praying like, Heavenly Father, if it's time, I'm, I feel like I'm ready to meet my spouse. And I'm sure I had actually said that years for years, you know, begged for it. But like, this time I was. Day. Yeah. Today at five would be nice. <laughs> and, it, and it did come. But and it, it's cool. This is kind of a side comment. But I just know that if young adults are listening to this, I just remember feeling like it would be so long until I met him. And I, in the moment, it kind of felt like it. But then when I met him, I was like, why was I complaining? Like it just, it happened. Like all of a sudden the things that you're hoping for, whether it's marriage or a career or they might just happen one day. And it just made me be like, why did I waste so much time complaining when beautiful things are going to happen? So enjoy the time until they get there. It's kind of like a roller coaster. You know, we jump on a ride and we go up and we go down and all around and upside down. <laughs> and, yeah. and we know that the ride is going to end. But for some reason in life, in the roller coaster of life, we we do have these hesitations and doubts and fears and, you know, screams even <laughs> that as we go through that ride, when really we should just take it all in as the ride that it is. Let's just get on and let's just enjoy it all the way through because before you know it, it's all over. And, and if we don't enjoy it, we'll be so sad. <laughs> That's beautiful and depressing. I love yeah. it. <laughs> you know, uh, I just want to touch on too. So Ryan was a student of mine before he met you. And I was praying for Ryan to find someone wonderful before I even know, even knew you because I would watch him come to class, having been married before, having a little boy, and his heart was so good. Mm -hmm. You know, most people who have been married and a marriage ends don't choose to go to an institute class. That's not your place where you think you belong, but it is where you belong. He's in a classroom or he's trying to draw closer to Christ and let Christ figure out what's next. Where do I go from here? The plan I had didn't work out the way I thought. And so now what? And he would, it, he shined in class. He was the one whose eyes were bright. You could see the spirit working in him. His comments uplifted everyone in the room. And I just looked at him and thought, I can't wait to see what's going to happen with this one. And and truly my prayers were, who do I know? Who do I know? <laughs> Ryan, there's got to be I'm someone. I'm so glad you didn't know someone. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. It did. didn't work out. But he, um, he was in the right place doing the right things, trying to become a better person to be ready for you. I had a bishop once when I went in for dating advice come. I was like, what do I need to do? And 
he just said, you be as good as you can be because light attracts light. And so if you try really hard, someone with light will be attracted to you. Um, and so I just appreciate you saying that because I was very much attracted to his, I mean, he was attractive to me, but when I talked to him, even over FaceTime, I remember this guy is good. Like he's just good. And I honestly don't know if six, seven years later, I would have appreciated that as much. But in my 30s, that's kind of all I wanted. Is I just wanted someone really good who loved the Lord. And that was apparent even before I knew I was going to marry him. Yeah. Beauty fades. Bodies change. Mm-hmm. But good, good can last forever, right? Yeah. It's significant. So you, you met Ryan. You FaceTimed. Yes. And somehow you got to Idaho. Yes. How did that happen? So I feel a little bit, I look back now and think, oh, that was probably very overwhelming for him. But about a month into us dating, so I'm a, I'm a full-time seminary teacher in Lehigh, Utah. I'm on a huge faculty. There was like 15 or, of us or something. And they were a bunch, all just my brothers. I loved them. And so they always knew everything that was going on. So my principal came to me and he said, hey, just so you know, they do placement. So they kind of rearrange where seminary teachers are at. It, in March is when they make, like, let you know, but they start making decisions in October. So if you are thinking something serious with this guy, and because Ryan had a kid, I, I always knew I would be the one to move. Like, as soon as we met, I was like, if this is going to go anywhere, I, I need to move to Idaho so that our son can be raised by both of his parents. And so that so within a month of us dating, you know, my principal is saying, hey, you need to talk to the big guys up in seminaries and institutes and tell them that you're interested in moving. And so I talked to Ryan and say, does that freak you out? If I just kind of put my name in the hat, it won't be till next August. So we'll still have a year to date. I can say no until like March or April. And so we both felt, of course, if we, we were dating to marry from the beginning, we knew that was an option. And so I did. I just called up the people that I need to and said, hey, I'm interested in moving to Idaho next year. This is my situation. And so it was kind of funny. I didn't really know it was my region director, basically just like a supervisor. And he would call me every couple of weeks and just be like, how's your dating life? Are you still dating a guy in Idaho? And I'd be like, yep. And he's like, that's all I need to know. Thank you. And so I was, I was in the conversation. Uh, I kind of picture it's like the draft. I don't know how they do it, but they just kind of move the same range. just everywhere. And so I knew I was an option and felt pretty confident that in August something would come up. But then in December, I was sitting in my office and I got a phone call from a random number and I answered it, which I don't always do because spam, but I felt like it this time. And it was someone at church headquarters that said, hey, we have a position open in Idaho in three weeks. Do you want it? We feel like you're the right person for this position. And I immediately felt like, of course, but I, I talked to Ryan and we'd been only dating for about four or five months at that point, but it was really beautiful that I, I was able to move up here. That's where I met Becca and we were roommates until I got married. And so God just really laid things out amazingly, but it was also really heaven sent because I was able to date Ryan in real time, not just on vacation or on weekends. I was able to get to know our son um, and he was able to spend a lot of time with me. So it wasn't a shocker when we got married. Um, and the job and the seminary that I'm at and the people I've met, I mean, it's, it's just been a miracle, the whole thing that I ended up here for him, but there's been so many beautiful doors that have opened too. It's pretty wild. I just want to share a little bit from the, the Becca side of this moving to Utah story or Idaho story. So right around the same time Cass got that phone call, I was, I had a 45 commute. I was also teaching seminary. 
Um, and I was driving home and felt prompted to move to Idaho. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and it came two more times. And so I drove to my area director's office and quit my job that day and was like, I have to move. And I didn't have an opportunity to transfer because I was a part-time teacher. So there, it's like different. It works. Anyways, we had a mutual friend that was teaching seminary in Lehigh that was like, oh, I have one friend that teaches seminary and another one. They're both me to Boise. And she just gave each other our numbers. And I was like, you should be roommates. <laughs> I mean, like, FaceTime the first time, and literally was like, I was like, should we pray about where we're going to live? And I'm like, is that weird? But she was a seminary teacher, so I felt like you can be weirdos. And anyways, we're, like, praying and, like, talking about how we're both, like, terrified to move to a new place. And I'm like, what if I move and I break up with this guy? And I don't know anyone. And you were like, at least you'll know me. So, yeah, it just was yeah. crazy how it all worked out. And I think Boise's been different than we both anticipated in, like, every way pretty much. But it's been so cool to just see God's hand in our stories yeah that way. it was sweet to automatically move to me with like a I had Ryan of course but then a built in girl bestie you know that we all need yeah we lived in a sketchy apartment it was quite bonding <laughs> <made> it, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. okay so then you made it to married life you got yes. married you got engaged on your 30th birthday I did wearing the sickest sweatsuit <laughs> he was and happy birthday crown most cast thing I've ever heard um Tell us about married life. How's it treating you? Married life is beautiful. I've been trying to think about things to say that won't be like, oh, barf, of course. And I, I guess my this the best part of married life is it was just so worth the wait. Not just marriage, but marriage to the right person. Being married to Ryan is like a treasure. He's so good to me. And I, I'll have flashbacks to guys that I was really serious with and pining over and wanting to marry who were good guys. I, I, I'm grateful for my experiences with them, but it just would have been a different world. And I remember with one guy I dated that I was like, dating him is like, I'm a kite and he keeps me grounded and I can soar, but he keeps me grounded. And I thought that was a really good thing. And then I met Ryan and I was like, I'm a bird. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the notebook, but like, I, would all, I, I didn't need to be grounded in the sense of, like, I just, I can go, I can soar, I can do anything, I, I can be whoever I want, but in a beautiful way. Like, he will always inspire me to be better than I am with also making me feel like who I am right now is good enough. It's this beautiful balance. My parents always told me to marry someone <clears throat> whose strengths are my weaknesses and vice versa, and I feel that with him. There's so much about him that I want to be. And then he makes me feel that way too. So I'm constantly trying to be better without feeling put down, you know? Like, I feel like I'm good enough and inspired to be more like my savior. And that's a really cool thing to have in a relationship that's not perfect, but it's beautiful. Sometimes I actually have to stop and say, like, Cass, it's because I, I get worried. I'm not, I'm not as happy of a wife I should be. I'm, I, was, I, was supposed, I used to be fun, you know? And now I'm distressed and worried about work and school and being a parent and trying to figure out how to be a mom. And, and then sometimes I'll take a moment and be like, are you happy? And I'm like, yeah, I'm so happy. But sometimes I, I'm so busy, I forget I'm happy, you know? And when it comes down to it, like if I, we just have to take moments to stop and appreciate our spouse. And I'm just in awe of who he is and what he does for me and wish I could go back to my single self and just say just have so much fun because you're gonna end up in such a good spot you have nothing to worry about as long as you keep plugging along in the right path yes headed the right direction 
keep the Lord the center of your life, it really does work out. When you give up and you stop letting the Lord lead your life, we don't know what your destination will be like. No. But if he's in charge, whatever is supposed to happen will happen. Truly. That's what's so beautiful about covenants is we are literally bound to him. And so if I, I knew that if I kept my covenants, that he, I, I knew he would always be with me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was beautiful and he was. And I also knew in my heart that he, he was going to make things work out, that God had a plan for me. I didn't know what that looked like. Sometimes I wanted it to look a certain way. But yeah, so I just echo that. It will all work out, but you've got to keep your covenants if you want it to work out with the Lord. And if you do, he'll, he'll make it better than you hope. And it's such a partnership, Brother Burke, bless his heart. In the last three weeks, while I'm at Institute, he dressed up to come be, uh, who was he at Halloween party? Dude Perfect. Oh, the host of this funny game. Came all in costume, put on a show, went back and did what he needed to do as a father while I finish this activity. Then I'm, I'm, a, I'm teaching one night, and he's at the daughter's rugby game, jumping onto the field, rescuing her when she got hurt, and doing all the dad things. And then last night again, I'm teaching, and it's the war truck retreat, and he's taking these two kiddos, and he's dressed up like Mr. Clean, and he's all in, (laughs) and I'm missing the costume. But sometimes it's divide and conquer. And when you can trust your spouse to pull off what you can't, it's amazing. You know, he, he was in med school for a long time, and even then, I knew he was gone, so I ran scripture study and prayer. So for a spouse to know, even when I can't be there, the important things will still happen. It's such a teamwork effort, and a, and sometimes it's touch and go, and it's a relay race, and who's got the pole now, and who's in charge. But if both of you are on the same page, you can create something amazing, even amidst all the chaos and the crazy schedule and the calendar, because the trust that both of you know, the most important things will get done, and in the midst of it, we will have a lot of fun. That makes a great relationship. That is Ryan's of Elder Suarez's most recent talk the equal partnership, it looks a lot like that, you know, that it's, we have our, our roles and responsibilities, but we're, we're both trying to help each other pull the weight. Yeah. Before we conclude today, I really would love you to just share, why do you stay in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is it that keeps you here? As I've been talking today, one part of me that's, I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned Jesus Christ enough in my story. He's been there the whole time. I don't know if I've said, I've made that clear enough. So I'm grateful for this chance to hear. Why I stay is so much just because of him. I love Jesus Christ. I remember sitting in a fasted testimony meeting when I was probably 14, and someone got up and bore testimony that Jesus Christ was their best friend. And I remember thinking, he's not mine, but I want him to be. And the more I've gotten to know him, I'll see if I can put it into words. Best friend doesn't even do it justice. Like I almost feel, because the best friend feels even too casual. I just adore him. I look forward to the time I can worship him. Like that just seems so cool that I could fall at my feet and be in front of him. And the fact that I'm not even scared by that talks more about him than it does me of how he's made me feel and how he's carried me. He truly earns the word savior and redeemer in every possible way. So I, I just, I stay because of him. I love him and I, I want so badly to make him proud uh, more than anything. 
I, I want him to be proud of me. You know he is. So proud. Thank you so much for the honor of being with you today and for your courage in the journey where life has led you to this incredible moment. And I'm so happy for you and Ryan to have found each other. Thank you.